0: Thank you so much. That was amazing. Hey, church, we're launching into a sermon series, and I am so excited for this sermon series because I think at this juncture, this moment in time, it's good to kind of rethink what is the purpose of the local church, right? I mean, there we are living in such a fractured time. I mean, we have arguments. You can see them over social media. You can see uh, the arguments that you probably had this past week with coworkers or family. I mean, we're living in fractured times. And so, what does God ask us to do as He calls us into this body, this this thing that we call church? And to be honest, uh, I have a confession for you this morning. Uh, I am terrible with directions. I'm terrible. In fact, I've always been pretty bad with directions. Carissa gets on to me about it because she's definitely the compass in our family. Because I, I would get lost trying to get to, you know, the, if we had a library in our house, even if it was right across the, the hallway from my bedroom, I'd somehow find a way to get lost. It's just It's just natural. Right? And if you've ever been on a road trip or uh, just a journey with somebody who's not good with directions, you know that when, when you get lost, it's almost inevitable. But then as the lostness continues and as the person who's at the helm tries to redirect, you can get even more lost. And then if you're with family members or friends, they start to say, Whoa, 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 we need to go left. And then somebody else says, No, you need to go right. And then all of a sudden, everyone is fighting with one another on how to get back on track. And I would argue that that is what is happening right now in our present moment. We hear of all of these phenomenal things that God did in in church history, and we're not seeing them firsthand, or we're not experiencing the same way firsthand, and so we start to say, well, this is how we've gotten off track. And so this series is all to help us kind of uh, recommit to what God calls us to be as a church, and to get back on track. He says in John chapter 12, verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. See, our desire is to be with Jesus wherever it is that he is, right? Because he's the Prince of Peace. When we're with him, there's peace. Even in the midst of a storm, only Jesus can be asleep when everyone else is trying to, trying to fight to, to keep the ship afloat. Only Jesus can be asleep. And so when we're with Jesus, we're afforded something that that no other community can offer. So we're outlining the series this way. Today we're going to be talking about how we we have an alternative foundation. Then next Sabbath we're unpacking this alternative kingdom, how kingdoms are built of, of cultural practices. And so what is this alternative kingdom about? Then we're going to go into an alternative ethic, how we're supposed to live out Uh, being members of this alternative kingdom. We're going to talk about this motif that Paul talks about all throughout the New Testament in Christ. What does it mean to have our identity in Christ? And then we're going to get to perhaps the the crux of the matter. Where does the power to stay together come from? And then we're going to talk about an alternative mission. And I, I find it amazing what God is doing because just yesterday... Uh, Sister Pauline, uh, Carl, myself, we were, we were on this uh, Microsoft team with the social worker for Forsyth County School District. And she was telling us about all the opportunities that we have as a church to really make an impact in some of the youth and families that are going through a tremendous hard time right now. She talked about mentorship, how they need consistent strong mentors and so we said sure let's 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 try to figure out how we can do that and then she also laid out this idea this innovative plan because they're building they're adjusting just like we all have had to and so she's talking about how we really need some maybe some financial literacy webinars or you know just some life skills webinars for for kids and adults parents and their youth. And so we said, sure, let's, let's partner, let's enter into this. And so we have, as we're unpacking what it means to be a local church, an opportunity to immediately apply it. I think that's only the work of God. Only the work of God. And so an alternative foundation. You know, God calls the church, this this ekklesia is the word in Greek, it's not to be like, uh, you know, Sports boosters or uh, you know political parties. It's not called to to compete with these communities that might throw tons of money at marketing. It's called to really be an alternative community. It's not called to compete. It's called to just to be an alternative. We're not in the business of trying to compete or to outmarket or no. We're called because we believe that that our calling is is so good and it's rooted on such a fa- on a, such a firm foundation that we don't have to compete. We can just be an alternative community. So. I'm no builder. This is not me, thankfully. This, it would have been 10 times worse if I had set out to put a shed together. But this is from my favorite YouTuber. His name is Benjamin Uyeda. He has a master's in architecture from Cornell University. He makes, he, he quit his job. He sold his super successful architecture firm to give away his design ideas. So people who have grown up in, in uh, harder circumstances can implement easier ways to build a stool or easier ways to get solar power to your, to your house or just easier ways. So he just gives his designs away on YouTube. He doesn't care. You could even start selling them and he won't have a problem with it. He says, take it, build, build your own business off of my design. I'm not patenting them. You can, you can start your own thing. So people actually have taken his designs and they sell his stuff on Etsy. Their whole business is based off of just watching his YouTube videos and following the tutorials that, that he makes, and they make money off of it. I think it's fantastic. So, Binu he was just trying to put his shed together at his house. That's all he was trying to do. And it fell apart because the foundation was not good. And so he looked at it and he said, okay, here's an opportunity to make a video to show the importance of a well-placed foundation because... If you don't have a firm foundation, it does not matter how beautiful you make it. It will not stand the test of time. It's just a foundation is that important. So this is a, a, uh, Amy Rua. She writes in this book, Political Tribes. This is a quote. I love it because she's talking about humans. Humans are tribal. We need to belong to groups. We crave bonds and attachments, which is why we love clubs, teams, fraternities, family. Almost no one is a hermit, she says. Even monks and friars belong to orders. But the tribal instinct is not just an instinct to belong, it is also an instinct to exclude. She says, this is, this is a non-Christian, and she's saying that we are naturally drawn to communities that have some foundation that is similar to ours. Now, I've been the first to confess that in these parts it is not good to be a Cowboys fan, um, because it is tough, but, you know, that's, that's fine. I grew up in Texas, and those Texas roots, they run deep, and so if I run into anyone from Texas, and it's funny, because you could have lived in Texas for a year, and you might still consider yourself a Texan, but I grew up there, and so I, I know I'm Texan. I'm, I'm, that, that, that's my country, is what I, is what Texans say. But I run into anyone who's from Texas, and we have an unbreakable foundation. I mean, you run into a Texan and you're from Texas, they will literally go through the greatest lengths to help you out because you're from Texas. It's an unbreakable foundation, right? I mean, think about uh, being in Georgia. I mean, we have an unbreakable foundation of our sports teams continually let us down. It happens. It's just an unbreakable foundation. So you run into someone, I mean, my roommate in college, Tyler Martin, he would he'd run into somebody else wearing a Braves hat, and they would just make a look, and they just both had the same, it was like a head nod, but with disappointment on their face. It's just what it was. An unbreakable foundation. So Amy Rua, she says, we are tribal by nature. We form these groups, we become a part of communities based off of an underlying foundation that we hold on to ourselves that is also shared with the rest of the group. And so what could be the foundation of the local church? So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 19. Matthew chapter 16. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Matthew chapter 16 Picking up at verse 13, it says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, pause. Before we can go any further, we are just asked perhaps the most important question that anyone could be asked. See, Jesus is not some mythological figure that we have created, that, that some group in a cave created to to." you know, relinquished to the world as an alternative way of living because they were looking and they were saying, well, you know, that tribal leader's not doing too well and that tribal leader's not doing too well, so we'll come up with our own. No, I mean, Jesus is not some mythological man. No, he he is rooted in history. And so, however we answer this question, who do people say, he's asking his disciples, but I believe he's asking us today, who do we say that he is radically transforms everything about our life? I mean, it's really the most essential question. Who is Jesus to you? And so the disciples, right, they're journeying with Jesus. They've been seeing this man, Jesus, do all of these miraculous things, right? He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's restoring sight to the blind. He's doing all these fantastic things. And now he's taking his disciples away and he's asking them, who do people say that I am? And the disciples being smart, right, they don't want to get caught in being wrong. You ever ever get asked a question and you just don't want to be wrong? So you deflect a little bit. So the disciples, they say in verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I find that fascinating that it's John the Baptist who Jesus was baptized by. So, I mean, you could have seen both of them at one place, and yet some people are still saying that Jesus is John the Baptist. In fact, several chapters before this point in Matthew, John the Baptist has just been beheaded, he was imprisoned, and he was, he was really martyred for standing up for the truth because he spoke to a political figure about some of the wrong things that, that Herod was doing. And, and so I find it interesting that some are saying that he is John the Baptist. I think the disciples might be scratching or, you know, grabbing air, trying to just—who's a, who's a prominent figure that we can think of real quick, right? Who knows? But then they say Elijah, the man who was taken up, who never tasted death. He was taken up into heaven in a, in a throne of, of fiery chariots. I mean, man, what a ride. I mean, I, I love my truck, but man, I'd take a fire chariot any day. No traffic, it'd be fantastic, right? I mean, it'd be great. Elijah, the man who performed miracles, right? Some would argue, uh, some have argued that he was the greatest prophet. Jesus himself says John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. But then others, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He's the one who was constantly going around and, and nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. People wanted to get away from him. So why would the disciples say, well, some are saying John the Baptist, some are saying Elijah, some are saying uh, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus, because he's not, he's not letting them escape, he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The, the greatest question, who is Jesus? Right? Who do we say that he is? Because how we answer that will change everything. And Peter, being probably one of the disciples that I, I most resonate with, because he's just someone who just acts and then thinks secondary. And so I'm just, I mean, I, I, I totally understand Peter. Or, you know, I feel like I resonate with Peter. He, he jumps up and says, Peter answered, you are the what? The Christ, the son of the living God. Now... I mean, we say, you know, Jesus Christ, and it's become so associated with one another that it's basically a surname. We just think that Jesus' last name was, was Christ. But in reality, Christ is this term, it's, it's this Greek term, Christos, and it means an anointed one or the Messiah. Now, in Scripture, several offices, several very important offices were, uh, were anointed or set apart for some reason, but we're going we're gonna to get to that. Um, but before I speed up myself here, Peter's proclamation, in an answer to Jesus' question, really changes everything. Not, it doesn't change just Peter's opinion of Jesus. It doesn't change just our, um, you know, our reading and how we might apply it to our lives. No, it changes the very reality of the world, him making this proclamation, him saying, Jesus, you are the Christos, you're the Messiah. Because in Judaism, it meant that the one who would come and fulfill the hopes of the nation. This is what the Messiah was. I mean, you, you go to Genesis chapter 3 and, and you have the fall of mankind, right? You have Adam and Eve and they go into sin. And then there's this promise that, that through Eve would come a deliverer, a conqueror, a Messiah. And that he would crush the head of the serpent. There's, this is the fall. This is how sin comes into the world. Right it's it's the flicking the domino that starts the train of the 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 you know cause and effect where it just goes and, goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and we deal with the ramifications of that every single day when we enter into sin. And so in Judaism there was this concept of a messiah would come. It meant the one who would come and fulfill the hopes of the nation. Traditionally there are three offices, three sorts of people that had been anointed with oil. You have prophets, you have priests, and you have kings. And Jesus, in fact, did fulfill the expectations of all of them, but even better, right? Like the priest, he was, he was anointed as a priest, but only perfectly because he put people in touch with God. The role of the Old Testament priest was to mediate on behalf of the congregation and the presence of God. Thus, basically being that one friend in that friend group that is like the glue, right? That, that is just the one who's like, who keeps the bond together. Jesus was the perfect Priest. But then he was the prophet, but he was the perfect prophet. He showed people what God was actually like. People are called to be a prophet to voice who God is, to proclaim this God of love. And then finally, even the the best, is he was the king. He was the perfect king. He exercised God's rule, God's reign over mankind while uniquely being the servant of the Lord. And so Jesus effectively functions, or to, it com- completes three roles. So he was perfectly anointed. He was perfectly set apart. He is the Messiah. Now, you might have already known that. You might be thinking, yeah, 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 Pastor Luke, I, I know that Christ means Christos and that Jesus is, is the Messiah, but, but this is incredibly humiliating for somebody to proclaim that, somebody, that, that the man in front of them is the Messiah because it recognizes that you can't save yourself. It recognizes that you need somebody else. You need help. Your condition is too far gone that you can't go home and download a YouTube how to get out of trouble video. You can't read a book. You can't. No, you need somebody physically to step in and bring about restoration. And so Peter saying, you are the Christ. He is saying, Jesus, my hope is built on nothing but you. Not my knowledge of, of the Torah, not my, not, not my uh, expression of being a good Jew, not all the many people, all the good deeds that I've done. No, 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 no. My only hope is in you. You are my priest, you are my prophet, you are my king. You know, Ellen White, she had this vision as she uh, uh, was coming into her prophetic ministry and it's, it's really about the fall of mankind. She says, sorrow filled heaven as it was realized that man was lost and that the world which God had created was to be filled with mortals, doomed to misery, sickness, and death, and that there was no way of escape for the offender. She's talking about the fall of mankind. She's talking about when sin came into the world. It started this ripple effect. So there was sorrow in heaven. Then she said, then I saw the lovely Jesus and beheld an expression of sympathy and sorrow upon his countenance. Soon I saw him approach the exceeding bright light which enshrouded the Father, said my accompanying angel. He is in close converse with his Father. So she's talking about this passage in Zechariah, where there's this council of peace that's taking place within the Godhead itself, of how do we remain being a God of love, and yet also justify someone who openly went into rebellion. She says, The anxiety of the angels seemed to be intense, while Jesus was communing with his Father, three times he was shut in by the glorious light about the Father. And the third time he came from the Father, we could see his person. Then, we, then they could again have access to the glorious, immortal fruit of the tree of life to which they had now forfeited all right. His countenance was calm, free from all perplexity and trouble, and shown with a loveliness which words cannot describe. He then made known to the angelic choir that a way of escape had been made for a lost man. Somebody say amen and that he had been pleading with his father and had obtained permission to give his own life as a ransom for the race, to bear their sins and take the sentence of death upon himself. Now, when I read this initially, I thought, well, this is kind of interesting because it paints Jesus as wanting to be our sacrifice and God not wanting that to happen, and so therefore, connecting the dots, no, 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 God did not want us to be saved, so he is he a God of love then? I mean, it, just, it brings so many questions to my mind. Well, she says this. She goes on further. Thus opening the way whereby they might through the merits of his blood and find pardon for past transgressions and by obedience be brought back to the garden from which they were driven. They could again have access to the glorious immortal fruit of the tree of life to which they had now forfeited all right. But then she says, oh, well, I skipped that one. Then she says this. Said the angel, Think ye that the father yielded up his dearly beloved son without a struggle? No, no. It was even a struggle with the God of heaven, whether to let guilty man perish or to give his darling son to die for them. There was an internal struggle within God because of his love for us. Sometimes when we, when we talk about the gospel, right, when we talk about how Jesus is the Christ and how he came and he stood in our place and he died for us, we forget the ultimate price that was paid. I mean, how does the creator, the one who has created all things, become creature? How has the one who, is, who has no limits, who is limitless, limit himself? How does one who's, who's been uh on a throne with angels, myriads and myriads of angels, praising him day and day and day after day, singing holy, 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 experiencing only joy, become a man acquainted with sorrow and grief? and then go through the greatest, most diabolical death that there ever could be, and that's full separation from the God that he had been with from eternity. God with God, this triunity, this Godhead. I mean, there was a tremendous price. Tremendous price. N.T. Wright, one of the leading Bible scholars, he says this, when we learn to read the story of Jesus and see it as the story of the love of God doing for us, what we could not do for ourselves, that insight produces again and again a sense of astonished gratitude which is very near the heart of the authentic Christian experience. It's just gratefulness. It's just recognizing that we couldn't do it. There was nothing that we could do that that Christ stepped into our situation and brought about healing, brought about restoration. It's just reminding ourselves of that. You know how freeing that is when it's not up to you? So when you set out and you're stressed out and you say, oh, I know, I know, I need to be reading my Bible a little bit more or I need to be spending more time in prayer. But then you try and you just can't get the worries of your job or your marriage or that addiction or whatever it is that's befalling you off your mind. And then you start to feel worse because you're trying to worship. You're trying, you're on your knees, you're trying to read the Bible, but you can't focus. And then you start to feel worse because you think that your relationship with God actually isn't tight. It was never on us to earn our way into heaven. We need a Messiah. We need a Christ. And Peter says it's Jesus. And what that means is challenging for us. Because what we're seeing happen in today's society is is such a divisiveness. Where there are people who who are trying to become the Messiah of our lives. Right? I mean, the Messiah was this figure that would come in and restore the hope of the nation, would follow through on the promise that the nation was built upon. And we see that happening nowadays. And so church, this is challenging, but I can assure you that this pulpit, this church does not follow the donkey or the elephant. It follows the lamb. I assure you it does not. And so your political candidate cannot be your Messiah, nor can your political party be your kingdom, nor can your political preference be your absolute truth. When you proclaim that you need a Messiah and that Jesus is the only Messiah, it's not your political candidate. They will fail. It's not your political preference. There is only one absolute truth. His name is Jesus. And there's only one kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. And as a church, we're called to be an alternative community, which means in humility, when somebody posts something that's different than what we think, we don't don't assume their tone is coming at us. We reach out to them and we say, Brother, sister, help me understand. Just help me understand. But then we have to have humility to actually hear it. We can't just say, I assume, I know what you're saying. Oh, you think this, which means this. No, 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 no. There is no demeaning in the house of God. Because we all have need of a Messiah. We all cannot do anything of our own selves. We cannot earn our salvation. And no sinful human is going to help us get there either. Jesus being the Messiah is not only the foundation of the church, it is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of our relationships with our kids, with our spouses. It's the foundation of our relationships with our co workers. It's the foundation of our relationships with our enemies. It's the foundation of why we do the job that we do. It's the foundation of the school that we chose to go to. It's the foundation of the friends that we choose to associate with. It's the foundation of everything. Because apart from Him being our Messiah, we would not be here. Who knows where I would be? I was trying to think about that this week. Where would I be if it was not for the grace of God? I have no idea, and it scares me. I have no idea. But I know it would not be here. And so I praise the Lord for the Messiah. So Matthew, chapter 16. See... Peter has just said, who do you, or Jesus has just said, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter has answered, you are the Messiah. You are the promised one. You are the anointed. You are the Christos, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven See, we don't even get to... It's completely on God that we don't even get to the point where we say that Jesus is the Messiah. It even has to be Him to help us get there. So it's 100% not on us other than to just to acknowledge what He's doing in front of us. That's, he, he, he loves us so much that He won't force Himself upon us, but He'll meet us up to the moment where He is not stepping over His bounds to the point where we just have to say, yes, you're here. Okay, Jesus, yes, you are. You are the Messiah. But then there's this this interesting phrase that many people have tried to pick apart to establish alternative uh, forms of religion. Verse 18, but I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now notice, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. So it's not he's building it on Peter. No, he's building it on Peter's proclamation that he is the Messiah. So the foundation of our church is that Jesus is our Savior. So we're really a single-point church. But it's not just a point. It's a person. His name is Jesus. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That means it's not, we don't have to defend our, our system of beliefs. No, it's, to us, it's just Jesus. We just want to follow Jesus to the best of our ability. That's all. I just want to follow Jesus. Show it to me from Jesus. Prove it to me from Jesus. I love Jesus. I just want to follow Jesus. But then there's this phrase, whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosed. And so we must always remember that this passage, this is from the, the Bible Speaks Today commentary series. We must always remember that this passage is influenced by, by what was happening at that time in Judaism. See, there was these two competing schools of rabbinical thought. You have the school of Shammai, who was very strict. They bound it. That is to say, it issued strict ceremonial and moral enactments. And then you have the school of Rabbi Hillel and his followers. By contrast, they were a little bit more liberal. They loosed. That is to say, it was more flexible and more sympathetic. And so binding and loosing and the power of the keys were well understood amongst the rabbis. Which is why Jesus asks the question in the first place because some people have been trying to say that he's just a good man. He's just a rabbi. But no other rabbi had been raising the dead. No other rabbi had been casting out demons. If you've watched the first episode of The Chosen, of Hades. Not political division, not sickness, not a pandemic, not racism, nothing would be able to shatter the foundation of the church. Nothing. And so it has proved down 2,000 years. This is Leslie Newbegin. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary to India, and as he got there, as he arrived, he saw that reaching, reaching the country of India with the gospel was going to be incredibly difficult. And so he came forward in, in, in this beautiful statement. We actually have two quotes from him. He just says this, The business of the church is to tell and embody a story. It's not to be articulated with every form of doctrine. In fact, I find it interesting that we could converse on sports. We can converse on politics. We could converse on, on where to find the best restaurant. But we're not gospel fluent. Meaning we can't communicate the gospel in every situation because we've lost sight of embodying a story and telling the story of really one man, Jesus. And so he found that telling a story, embodying this story of Christ, we just had that in the Sabbath school lesson, sharing the story. He found that to be successful. He says this, the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into this safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. He says, we're not, supposed to, we're not called out into this comfortable place where we can kind of hide over here and never be affected by the world. No, in fact, he's suppo- we're supposed to be, sign me up, Jesus, I'm going back. Sign me up, I'll go back. I'll be a mentor for a kid who needs help. I'll, I'll be a mentor. I'll be consistent when nobody else in their life is consistent. I'll be there for them. I will show them. I will embody and tell your story to them. Jesus, sign me up. I'll, I'll do a webinar to help a parent understand how to come out of financial uh, travesty. I'll, I'll do a webinar on how to do a mortgage calculator. I'll do a webinar on just basic health principles. I'll do, Jesus, sign me up. We're not called to, be a, to step out into this religious enclave. No, we're supposed to be, ba- we're supposed to be knocking on Jesus' door, not him knocking on our door. Jesus, send me here. I'll go here. I'll go here. I'll go talk to that person. Jesus, send me. Here I am. Send me. Right, We go back as agents of God's kingship because, as Paul so well articulates, the foundation of the church is built on this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So when somebody asks you, when you leave here, hey, how was church? What, what, what was church about today? Or what's your church like? You can say, we really exist for one thing, and that's Jesus. And we come and we worship Jesus, and we talk about Jesus, and we love Jesus. And we want other people to know how much Jesus loves them too. And that's really it. We're, we're a single person church. Jesus. In whom? The whole building being fitted together. You and I, were fit together. Why? Because our foundation is Jesus. And so we, were, we will grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Not this beautiful infrastructure. I mean, I, I've gotten very well acquainted with this building. With a, we, had, we, had, we had to get our projectors fixed. We had to go in and look at some of the sprinkler heads and the lights and make sure everything was, was, was okay. So I was on a lift in here, and, and I noticed you know, the, just the beauty of this building. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a fantastic building. But Jesus is not interested in building these infrastructures. He's interested in building communities. And our community is knit together simply because we have need of a Messiah and we have said so. And so when somebody has a differing opinion or somebody wants to attack us or if somebody wants to to offer a, a hot take that we disagree with, because we have need of a Messiah, we can in humility ask them, What do you mean? Help me out here. Help me understand. I don't know what to do in this situation. And so I'll go first, church. I'll show you how, much I mean, how, how, how badly I, I'm a part of God's church. As I reached out this week to the pastor of all nations. His name is Sean Brooks. And I reached out to him because I asked him, as a pastor, in this type of, of moment, when, when we, we're dealing with the ramifications of, of skimping over racism that has lingered in, in society way too long, how can I be a part of helping? I had no agenda. I didn't want him to affirm what I already believed, or I didn't want him to affirm what, I was, what some steps I wanted to take. I just told him, I, I have no agenda. Please share with me what I could do that was it. And we had an hour and a half long conversation. You can only get to a point where you can hear and truly listen when you have, when you've recognized your need for a Messiah. When you've recognized that you need Jesus to step into your heart because you're going to have blind spots to, to feeling a certain way about things. The only way you get there is just acknowledging you have need for a Messiah and he will transform you. It's all about Jesus. man, isn't it fantastic? I want to pray with you. And then I've invited my, my wife to sing a song that we found this past week really on the goodness of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we, we pause because we just, ah, oh Lord, you are so good. And Father, as we're journeying through this series, we've just began. But we have found that you're the foundation of, of your church. This alternative community is really built on Jesus. Lord, we know that uh, we really did, kind of did a helicopter overview because we're going to get in the woods, we're going to get in the trees all throughout this series. But Lord, how, how wonderful it is to know that your church, the foundation of, of what it's built upon, is yourself. And so Lord, as we have acknowledged our need for you to step into our lives and transform us and save us, just may we ponder what it is that you might want to take from us as we hear this next song. We're praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. let us close with prayer. Father, may we rest all of our days in the goodness of Jesus. And Lord, we know from, from your word that when we, when we say all of our days, we're really speaking of of eternity. And Lord, we long for that, that moment where we see you coming in the clouds of glory to take us home. And so, God, we just ask that, that you would remind us that you would Uh, Help us to enter into this week proclaiming radically that you are our Messiah and that we are a part of an alternative community built solely on that as our foundation. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen.